What if everything you thought you knew about the criminal justice system and high-profile criminal cases wasn't true? Join a veteran Buffalo City detective, a veteran Canadian Pacific police captain, and a veteran NCIS special agent, along with their guests, as they dissect the criminal justice system and high-profile criminal cases from their perspective in an unvarnished podcast focusing on crime, corruption, and media bias. It's Search Warrant, coming right at you. While speaking with our guest for this episode, the Search Warrant team took the time to listen to a short clip reviewing the more broad ins and outs of the Penn State scandal as a springboard into the case for today's episode. This short clip, along with the team's thoughts on said clip, can be found in the previous episode entitled, Headlines Can Be Deceiving. We uh, have the benefit of having a guest today that has a very illustrious uh, career uh, in college football, from uh, being a player, um, to being a coach, to being a head coach that very uh, has very significant first-hand knowledge of uh, what we're talking about today, um, that being uh, Coach Dick Anderson, who um, spent uh, many years as a uh, Penn State uh, football player, as well as a, uh, a coach at Penn State, and subsequently a, uh, a head football coach at uh, Rutgers University. Dick, uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can, John. Uh, Dick, I'm I'm here with uh, um, Detective Anna Midlars and uh, Police Captain um, Tom Purcell, and I'm sure you've listened to that uh, succinct uh, summary of the case by Ralph Cipriano, the investigative reporter, that kind of uh, flies in the face of any kind of uh, headlines that uh, came out, and and unfortunately, we're in a position now where people with phones and uh, computers, they, they tend to look at the uh, headlines and, and take it, uh, take it for uh, what it's, you know, what it's saying and as the, uh, as the gospel. But in this case, clearly from what uh, Ralph has conveyed to us in that uh, brief clip, the headlines are not exactly uh, to be believed. If you, I, I know that uh, you have uh, firsthand knowledge of this entire um drama uh episode which uh has uh, has had uh, damaging effects on uh numerous individuals and by virtue of the you know uh, as a result it, when you when you put it in the context that ralph did that damage is a direct result of what tom had said earlier the the media wanting to be first not necessarily accurate but being first um could you give us just a brief summary of of where you've been um, and, and where um, and your knowledge of uh, Jerry and the situation? Could you do that for us? Sure, John. I um, I uh, played at Penn State from '59 to '63, and then worked as a graduate assistant for a year and a half before I moved on to my first job, which was at Lafayette College as an assistant coach. From there, I went to the University of Pennsylvania and then back to Penn State in 1973. Um, Jerry Sandusky uh, was a teammate, and he actually uh, was my backup for a period of time. 
And um, we became friends, uh, of course, then and then continue that over the years. Jerry um, left Penn State uh, uh, after his graduate work um, a few years later. And he um, went first to Juniata College, then to Boston University, then back to Penn State. He arrived back at Penn State uh, two to three years uh, prior to me coming back in 73. So we were able to coach together for approximately 20 years at Penn State. I had an, an interruption of six years where I went to Rutgers and then returned. So the total was uh, about 20 years. And uh, so I got to know Jerry and his family uh, very well. Um, and maybe I know them better than uh, almost anybody with the exception of his uh, immediate family. So, and I can tell you, he's, uh, he's uh, uh, an upright guy and uh, I, I cannot believe the charges that were leveled against him. Um, and I, I, I can give you kind of a, a summary, John, of, um, you know, this case and then uh, it, what aspects aspects of it you would like to delve into, um, you know, we can or put it off to another time. But I think I have a pretty good feel for the whole thing. I was a, I was a witness in uh, Jerry's trial on the very, very first day. And as a result, uh, when you're a witness, you cannot participate or or be present at the trial uh, as it uh, as it moves on. So I was I was there just the first day, but then I attended, of course, all of his appeals and uh, I got a firsthand look at uh, so-called justice. But the Jerry Sandusky case is the most horrendous example of a miscarriage of justice that I have ever come across. It's complicated and it involves many people and many entities. But, um, you know, I think I think it began, and many people have said this, that uh, it began with um, uh, Governor Corbett, who actually uh, put the Jerry Sandusky investigation on hold while he was running for governor. And uh, he, had, he had conflicts with Penn State uh, for years simply because of uh, the president, Graham Spanier, having to go to Harrisburg to fight for funding. So it kind of began there. And then I think he was really upset uh, when, in fact, um, he was not invited to a particular football game when his uh, political rival was. So there was reason there for a vendetta. And many people think that uh, that, that vendetta spearheaded things. But then if you go into the investigation of it all, it was it was done so improperly and perhaps in some cases against the law. Um, it's unbelievable. I mean, we had we had uh, police um, that were investigating that were not qualified to do so. Uh, there are there are certain um, uh, norms relative to investigations with uh, with uh, sex sex cases. So these people were not trained in that. And then they took on a therapist who actually became a part of the investigative um, team. And, and he, was, he was the therapist that was seeing um, the initial 
the initial accuser, uh, referred to as accuser number one, Aaron Fisher, and uh, it it took some it took some bad turns because there was so much uh, put out there in the way of suggestions to kids and cross contamination of of uh, accusers um, that it really didn't hold any water in in my in my opinion. Um, the grand jury the grand jury um, had leaks all over the place and they went to the press which in turn poisoned the public and uh, eventually the jury pool. And uh, the jury, the grand jury leaks, believe it or not, um, two, two, of the, um, two of the prosecutors, um, one uh, was Janelle Esbach and the other one was uh, Frank Fina. Uh, they admitted as much when they were um, subpoenaed at a um, at one of the court hearings, and they admitted that there were leaks, and they said they set a trap, but they could not find the individual who was making the leaks. It's reported now by some that it was actually Frank Fina. So uh, we'll see, we'll see, because I think Frank is in the process of being reprimanded um, by the um, by the state. And of course, you know, when the press got a hold of this, and in particular Sarah Gannam, she was the one who did most of the uh, damage on leaks and lies, and uh, you know that didn't help things. And when you get to the council, uh, which Jerry's lawyer Joe Amendola was just totally overwhelmed. He was not prepared to do this, and in fairness, I don't know if anyone could have done it in the allotted time. Um, uh, of course, the judge was very persistent in keeping the time frame down, and it was mounds and mounds of information. So he, I think, threw up his hands because he asked to be recused uh, more than once, and the and the uh, judge Cleveland would not allow it. So he went on, and um, either deliberately or unknowingly, he was undermining Jerry Sandusky. The whole way with the with sarcasm that he used uh, with the jurors, uh, the Costas interview, which was a disaster. Uh, he let prejudiced jurors go. Why? Who knows? Maybe he was daydreaming. I, I have no idea during their interrogation. And then there was the, the famous hotel thing on the preliminary hearing. There was a meeting at a local hotel the night before the preliminary hearing, and the judge, Judge Cleland, along with um, Joe Amendola, Jerry's lawyer, and the prosecution were all present, and they made a deal, all right, so that uh, there would be no preliminary hearing, which in retrospect, if you look at that, that was, that was a colossal mistake because uh, Amendola didn't have any chance to question ahead of time the accusers. How does that even fit into the uh, legal system? I mean, that, that uh, in itself is a problem. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's part of the reason that Judge Cleland recused himself eventually. He recused himself when he was asked uh, on more than one occasion to recuse himself, and uh, he wouldn't. But finally, he succumbed because not only did he was that a, a, a bad mistake, but he also made other mistakes uh, during uh, the trial, and then also with instructions to the jurors. 
So uh, that was that was unbelievable. And then you had the violation of the Brady Law that went on. All right, and that has never had never been addressed by any of the any of the judges in in the um, in the hearings that followed with Jerry's appeals. So and that one I can't get over really. Um, and you have the you have the board of trustees. You know they they bought in. They panicked right away. The, the Penn State board of trustees. They panicked and they didn't know which way to turn. And uh, their lawyers came in right away and advised them. All right, to just accept everything and not to fight anything. Just let it go and um, pay off the accusers. Which in the end, uh, if you, you look at that closely, you'll see, I think, that that was a major motivation. If you look at the investigation, how that went and the denials by the kids um, that things uh, never happened as they were portrayed. And then you get the um, insertion of the lawyers and uh, then the big payouts without any or very little um, uh, investigation uh, by the by the board, so they just handed out money. And as Ralph said in his Ralph Cipriano said in his uh, little uh, diatribe that uh, you know, 118 million dollars paid out to kids who just popped up. Some of them not even related uh, to the. Um, to the courts. I mean, it just popped up and bingo. All right. How much do you want? Um, so there was millions and millions and millions of dollars handed out just to make the thing go away, not to address it. And actually one of the board members stood up and said that what we want to do is time to take over. We want time to erase this. The free report was a, was a disaster. And, uh, part of the, Part of the board of trustees um, broke off. They were they were referred to as the A7, and they created an A7 report, which was by the um, by the board as a whole. Because this A7 didn't have enough votes, the board uh, said that they would not release it. And the A7 report really exposed the free report. But it was finally released uh, uh, because someone leaked it. And it got to the press and it really exposed it. But there's not a lot of people that really looked at it and understand it. But um, what the A7 group was allowed to do was to go to Philadelphia where the free report was locked up. And not, not the actual report, but the actual investigative techniques and the emails and the colluding that went on. Um, all that. All of that was uh, exposed by the A7 report, and tried to uh, was tried to keep, uh, was tried to keep under wraps. But um, it got out there, and uh, still, there's not a lot of people that are, are aware of it. But uh, you can reach that online, and you can get it and read it. And of course, I think the major motivation of all of this, to go back, is uh, you know follow the money, and the accusers. And the lawyers, when they got involved, and there's a lot of stories that changed when the lawyers got involved, the therapist got involved. And of course, the therapist, uh, I think, incriminated himself really with his own book, all right, that he wrote um, after all of this. And, and perhaps the greatest educational tool 
I think, on all of this is um, Mark Pendergrass' book. Um, and it's a, it's a really good book. And Mark spent a lot of time researching this book. It's, uh, it's all well documented. I think he did a terrific job on it. And uh, it exposes an awful lot of what went on. And uh, that book is The Most Hated Man in America slash Jerry Sandusky and the Rush to Judgment. But uh, people that are interested in this case should read that book. Because hey, Dick, Dick, this, Dick, this is Anna. Uh, who, who was uh, Mr. Pendergast in this? Yes, Pendergast. Mark Pendergast. Yeah. What was his uh, place in this? Well, Mark, Mark got interested in this. Mark had no connection to Penn State at all, but... Uh, became interested in this, um, and I think it was primarily because it, it uh, one, one of the one of the things involved in this case was repressed memory, but it was never addressed by Jerry's lawyer Amidola. He didn't even know what it was, and they utilized repressed memory uh, with the accusers in order to come up with uh, so many of the charges. Pendergrass was interested in, in this and had written about it, uh, that is repressed memory, and then became interested in this case. And he, he went through this entire case from beginning to end, including uh, all the accusers and uh, all the people involved. And as I said, uh, transcripts, uh, so on. It's well documented, very well done. So they, so they used repressed memory as evidence against... Well, no. What? Here's how it's used. When when the police and the therapist were involved with these kids, um, half of them, half of the kids that were testified, denied anything that happened. For some, some of them, they denied it for months. And I think in one case, Aaron Fisher was over a year. But during this time. Some of them were going through therapy and then in police uh, in, uh, interrogation. And the police were, uh, they were utilizing suggestive uh, questioning as they went through and cross-contamination, all right, with other, the, other witnesses saying, well, this kid said this, this kid said that, what do you think, don't you think, et cetera. Oh, I see. So what happened... So what happened was the repressed memory became a, a part of this, but not outwardly so. No one recognized it as repressed memory. The lawyer should have jumped right on that. But of course, yeah. he didn't because he didn't know anything about it. And repressed memory, as, as uh, Ralph would tell you, and I think John would tell you, was simply a theory brought about by Freud in around that 1900 period. And it was simply his theory. There was no scientific investigation that went into this, but it was his theory. It was adapted by many psychiatrists and psychologists for, well, up to this point in time. And there's many that still practice that, and mm -hmm. it still goes on. And uh, the, the, basic, the basic thing that, that uh, Elizabeth Loftus has said Elizabeth Loftus is probably the foremost expert on repressed memory in the country. And she comes out of Cal Berkeley. And she she has said that no one, all right, in her and she has done countless, countless experiments, investigations 
with repressed memory. And she says that no one forgets a traumatic event when it happens to them. They don't forget it. Mm-hmm. And repressed memory is built around forgetting it and then bringing it back out of the cobwebs. Right. And uh, she has proven it doesn't exist. Dick, um, for, the, for our listeners, could we have the name again of that Pendergrass book that, that's out? Yes. The, the name of it is The Most Hated Man in America, uh-huh. Sherry Sandusky and the Rush to Judgment. And, and the other, another question I had real quick was uh, the A7 report you're referring to. Where could that be found? You can get that online. And, uh, uh, you know, John, John might have a, a better explanation of exactly how to get it, but uh, yeah. it's, it's online. And uh, that report is somewhere, of, I think it's about 119 pages. Right. And it uh, goes into, because they got actual um, access to the free investigation that they came up with all of these things. One of the things that Free did in his investigation, which I, I thought was horrendous, was that he he went out and he interviewed uh, numerous people all over campus on various things. And um, one of the things that he did was he cherry-picked and would take a minority of opinions and utilize that as a narrative as opposed to using the majority of opinions. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was clear that he, they had a narrative before they ever began. Did he ever speak with you, Dick? Uh, I was, yeah, I, not him personally, but I was interviewed by the free group. Okay. And um, interesting enough, I had big arguments with them, and I wasn't going to go, but uh, in the end, I thought I should go because it would look bad if I didn't, that I was trying to hide something. So as a result, I did go and I was interviewed by a gentleman by the name of Sullivan and then another gentleman, I don't recall his name from the state police, but Sullivan was a partner. I was a former federal judge and a partner in uh, in the firm. But believe it or not, when I was interviewed, they called me first to set up the interview. And I asked the question, I asked two questions. I said, number one, is there going is there going to be a recording of the interview? So the answer was no. I said, well, are there going to be notes taken? And they said, yes. And I said, well, will I have access to the notes? Well, the first answer was yes, you would. Yeah. Um, and then I objected to the fact that, you know, there would be no recording of this. And and as a result, how do, how do I know what you're going to come up with is accurate? And then they did call me back 20 minutes after we hung up and they said, we're sorry, you can't, you cannot have access to the notes either. So I said, really? I said, so someone's going to take notes and they're going to perhaps purposely or maybe by accident substitute a word that may be a particular noun or predicate or whatever it may be, verb, and the whole meaning of what I say changes. So you're telling me that I have no, I says, I'm not coming. So uh, that's why I left it. But then (laughs) I changed my mind because I thought, well, they're going to look at me, one of the coaches close to Jerry and well, he's hiding something. So he doesn't. So I went and uh, I started the interview with an argument and, uh, you know, about the whole thing and the procedures and whatever. 
but yeah. then uh, then the thing the thing went forward. And you know the the leading questions. You know, it started off with this was the first question. The first question was, we hear that Joe Paterno runs everything at this university. And I laughed. I says, you've got to be kidding me. I said, where, I don't know where you heard that, but that's an impossibility. It doesn't exist. It's so that's the, that's the kind of nonsense, uh, you know, that's, um, but the, the whole thing in, in my estimation, the free report, the grand jury, the whole thing was really a sham. And, uh, you know, to top it all, one of, one of the things that came up that sticks with me really hard was that Janelle Esbach um, was um, involved in the grand jury, and uh, she she is uh, she is one of the um, uh, lieutenants uh, from the um, attorney general's office. Uh, let's see what I have it written here. She's the deputy attorney general, so she was responsible for writing the presentment. Now, I didn't know at the time when this was going on, what actually a presentment was. But I found out soon um, that a presentment was a summary of what happened at the grand jury was not necessarily fact. Well, Janelle Esbach um, actually came out of the presentment with a lie, a straight out lie. And that lie was went to the press and it went to the board of trustees prior to Joe Paterno's firing. And she said that Mike McQuarrie saw a sexual act in the shower. Yeah. And he did not. When he, the very first people that Mike McQuarrie talked to after he saw whatever he saw was his father in conjunction with Dr. Drainoff. His father ran a medical, um, facility here in State College. And Dr. Drainoff was one of the doctors and a close friend of, John's, uh, uh, of uh, John McQuarrie, who is Mike's dad. So um, he talked to both of those people in concert, uh, I believe it was the very next day or it could have been that night. But uh, Drainoff, being a doctor, was a mandatory reporter. And he asked Mike, this was his testimony. I asked Mike three times if he saw anything sexual, and each of those times Mike answered no. So his story has changed uh, over time, and Janelle Eisbach took it, and there's an email that goes that they the lawyers had that went from Mike to Janelle Esbach saying, why did you take my words and twist them? And her retort was, Mike, don't worry about it. Keep your mouth shut. Oh, wow. And you know, that's, that's actually in writing? That's in oh, writing yes. Somewhere? Oh, yes. Yeah. And listen, I was at, I was at, the, um, at the hearing um, on one of the appeals, and Janelle Esbach was there, and they asked her about that, and they gave, they repeated what she said, and they handed it to her in writing, to confirm it, and she says, "Yes, I wrote that." And at the same time, they they also had Mike's testimony, so they had they proved they have her as really a proven liar. 
Yeah. Are, are you still in touch with uh, Mr. Sandusky? Yes. Yeah. Very good. Very How's he good. doing? How's he doing? Well, uh, if you were to talk with Jerry or visit with Jerry, uh, I think you would be amazed because he has a he has a tremendous attitude. Now, he he like me and all of us, you know, we're aging. It doesn't get easier, especially where he is. But yeah. his his attitude is really tremendous. Now, he's obviously now fighting for his life because he's coming down to resentencing in conjunction with a federal habeas and um, the federal habeas uh, right now is on hold. The timing brought the two of it together. They shouldn't come together. The, re the resentencing should occur prior to any federal appeal, but because of the timing of it, uh, the resentencing that popped up out of nowhere because of that, the, uh, they made a mistake in the sentencing and the minimums and they had to, by law, resentence him. And then there was a um, uh, there was a timing aspect where you had to make sure that your federal habeas was in after the Supreme Court decision of Pennsylvania, and that was going on and colliding with the resentencing. So they were put together, and now one's on hold. So Dick, Dick is it possible that he could get uh, released when they finally get that um, sentencing? No, that, I, no, I don't think that's no. possible. But I think what will what we're hoping is going to happen is that there'll be new appeals recognized at the post sentencing. So yeah, recently okay. we'll have some arguments and uh, some appeals, and then the post sentencing will uh, hopefully give him the opportunity to have some more appeals. And if not, it goes directly will go directly to the federal appeal. Yeah, you would think that with all the all the problems they found in this investigation that they would be able to bring up quite a bit. Well, they have. And they, yeah. They've brought up a lot. They brought up a lot in his appeals, but it, it goes in one ear and out the other. The judges, I'm telling you, oh. and so disappointed with the, um, the judicial system in Pennsylvania. That's uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So how do we get this thing to go with the feds? How will it go to the feds? No, how can we get it to the federal court? Well, you have to, you have to by law, you have to um, exasperate or you have to exhaust, is the right word, I guess, exhaust all state appeals. And when you're dealing with the resentencing, you're still in state. And then if they give you more appeals in state, you, you, can't, you cannot go to the federal appeal until... You're completely exhausted with your state appeals. Right. So when, That's why I asked because yeah, we're, we're not like a catch twenty-two if I've ever seen one. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's because of the timing of it both. You see, when the federal court, when the um, I'm sorry, the superior court of Pennsylvania turned Jerry down for a new trial. All right, they had, I believe, it was eighty-five days to make a federal appeal. But as they're making this appeal, the resentencing occurs. All right, they discover there was a mistake in the sentencing, so now they're gonna resentence him. Well, that now creates a state situation. So that puts the federal appeal on hold. And uh, they had to go through, uh, Jerry actually had to get two, two additional lawyers 
one for the federal appeal and one for resentencing. Now, is this the, this is the same judicial system, entire judicial system, that uh, was rebuked by the uh, federal courts in regard to Graham Spanier's uh, misdemeanor conviction. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I, we'll get into this later, but a misdemeanor crime in, that uh, Graham Spanier was charged with which didn't exist when he was charged with it was upheld by that by several levels of that judicial system is that correct um i think what happened with with graham spanier the the ex-president of penn state i think what happened is that the actual federal appeal shut down the 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 state uh, right. What, what I mean is statute of limitations. Right. What I mean to say is that the underlying miscarriage of justice, which is that Graham had been charged with a crime that didn't apply to him, um, they upheld that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's indicative of a bigger problem um, <laughs> with the entire judicial system of the, that particular state um, to not to be able to they didn't recognize upon review that that charge didn't apply to him um, uh, it really brings into, uh, into focus a significant indication of corruption in in my view well w- one of the problems that that exists and uh, I, I don't think it's any secret that all the all the judges in Pennsylvania uh, operate like politicians because they're elected and uh, I, I think that's a bad thing and when you have when you have guys out there that have to politic and you get a case like Jerry's which involves um, uh, a child uh, predator as he was accused of uh people think that is and it is it's very toxic and a judge does not want to be the judge that gives him another trial this really has but but uh as you've described it and as ralph described it in his uh succinct uh summary of the case um it it, it focuses on uh, civil and constitutional rights. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I mean, before it gets to the uh, predator situation, I mean, you know, uh, everybody has civil rights and everybody has constitutional rights. Um, I wanted to to follow up with you a little bit because you alluded to this earlier in regard to the uh, investigative entity that uh, initially was involved in this. Um, and I, if I understand it correctly, they weren't actually trained for the investigations that they were conducting. Um, if, if I'm correct in understanding the, it was a narcotics agent, uh, that was undertaking a child sex abuse case. Is that right? Uh, well, the, the, the therapist, the therapist for Aaron Fisher, 
who is the first accuser. His name is Gillum. And right now he's being investigated by by the state's uh, psych psychiatric uh, board. And uh, he inserted himself into the investigation by being present with a Aaron Fisher. And there might have been uh, one or two others that he was present with, but certainly Aaron Fisher. And he was present with him throughout the investigation and, and contributing, you know, questions to Aaron Fisher and leading Aaron Fisher. And uh, there's no way he should have been in that investigation. He, had, he was not any part of any uh, law, law in, entity. And uh, the police that were involved were, were not trained at all in any type of um, uh, child sex cases. Right. So, that, that, that was my that was my point. The, the right. uh, investigative enti investigative entity in this regard was uh, uh, a narcotics unit, not a sex. Crime oh, yes. Unit. Yes. Right. Yes. And. Um, interestingly, if you follow through on uh, what happened subsequent to that, um, it's interesting to um, theorize about the. Uh, who's beholden to who, because the, uh, the lowly narcotics agent that was uh, investing a, investigating a child sex abuse case is suddenly the, the director mm. of the entire... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, who's beholden to who and, yeah. and uh, what's yeah. going on? And then you, you add to that the entire uh, judicial... Uh, network upholding the uh a, a clear uh miscarriage of justice i, I it's uh, uh it's uh i mean i i mentioned before that uh in a previous podcast that uh you can't really particularly in this case you can't use the uh the term unbelievable it's just hideously believable um i mean it uh it certainly uh speaks to uh the focus that we have here at search warrant which is uh crime corruption and media bias and i think uh all three all three of those uh particular subjects pertain to this case um and uh have got us where we are now in the in this case um if uh if uh, tom do you have any questions of uh object yeah, I've been just making notes here. Uh, I do have a lot of questions, but recently, or I don't know if it was too recent, didn't you uh, basically confront in a speech? Was that the NCAA you were confronting? That was the Board of Trustees. And how did they react to that? Well, the Board of Trustees, um, you got to remember that their mantra is make this go away. Time will heal everything. They don't want to address anything that I said to them. Uh, they just don't. Now there's there's a there's a segment of them that that do, but they're got to, you got to understand. First of all, the board of trustees is is both appointed and elected. The elected side is the minority. The appointed side by the governor is the majority. So the majority is the one that's holding all of this down. The elected side are the ones that want this thing out. So the majority holds the votes. 
So as a result, yeah. they can't get the stuff out that they want. So when I when I spoke to them, I got I got two minutes, and uh, that's what you are allowed. And uh, I I I uh, rehearsed what I was going to say, and I read it. I didn't deliver it. I don't think as well as I could have because I was trying to get it in in two minutes so that uh, I could get as much as I could in that two minutes. So I, I kind of, you know, I went through it in a hurry. But when I finished, they just stared at me in stone silence. One guy, all right, stood up and he applauded and then shook my hand as I come down. I came off the podium. Well, I and, thought you were and, very, I thought you were very brave, but I also thought, you know, besides courageous, you were correct. It was great that you did that. And I was curious on if you walked off that stage and you were now a pariah or were you treated respectfully like you should be? Well, there was just the one gentleman that shook my hand and the rest just sat there and stared at me. So well, and they, I, they still think it's they just want still to go away. Just why does. Oh, yeah. Well, that's their mantra. They will not address it. They will not address. All right. This case, the only thing they will do is that if somebody pops up as an accuser, they'll pay them off because they don't want to get into any type of lawsuit or publicity. They just want it to go away. I, in that regard, I think that uh, you had mentioned before that there was a uh, the uh, alumni trustee review of the flawed uh, free report was, uh, was leaked. And if uh, anybody's interested in uh, seeing exactly what that report uh, contains, which is uh, a review of all the source materials that Free used to come up with his pronouncements um, and his, uh, you know, opinions. Is this um, the A7 there, uh, that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the article was entitled, the article was entitled Alumni Trustee Review of Flawed Free Report Leaked. And that's uh, from uh, statecollege.com. I think that um, if I understand it correctly, there are some uh, associations on the, the board of trustees that uh, would make some of them beholden to ones that hold power on the board. Is that possible? Oh, I think anything is possible with that group. I mean, that, first of all, the board's too big, all right? And it's in the appointed side by the governor all right, holds the power. So the elected side, the people that are put in there by the alumni, they don't have the power, but they're the ones who got together and got permission to go and look at these files. So that was all done legally. But then the board, all right, then come back and as a whole, they got a vote on this. And you know, the appointed side has the power and they said, no, you cannot release this. So, so, they the, so really the, the the under the the uh, the significant point here, I I think for for people to understand is is that all although uh, free has held some titles in his past, he's actually a discredited former political appointee who was uh, contracted to do a private investigation, um, and he was beholden to his clients and his handlers, who in this case were the board of trustees. So, um, you know, 
uh, one could suggest that uh, a private investigation paid for by the uh, Board of Trustees would be uh, one that would have the findings that uh, supported their position. Yeah. Particularly as a as a private investigation where he's he's being paid to to come up with a uh, result that satisfies his clients and his his handlers. John, what, you, is, what is Free doing right now? What's his status today? Well, I, if I understand it correctly, he uh, made uh, inroads with the uh, NCAA um, to utilize this private investigation funded by the Board of Trustees um, as a way to uh, secure a position uh, as a contract investigator with the NCAA. So he's investigating himself in a way. <laughs> well, the, uh, well, you know, if he was if he was actually <laughs> investigating himself, he would uh, would find it. I mean, if you if you Google uh, the investigations that he's he's been involved with as a private investigative entity, yeah. um, beholden to his clients and handlers, you'll see that uh, I don't think that he's had a successful investigation that uh, he hasn't had a successful investigation I see. yet. I see a conflict so, there. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. he, he did uh, some contract investigations for, uh, on behalf of FIFA and a couple other entities, and they all became disasters, much like this yeah. thing. Yeah. So, um, and John, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is how he colluded. He colluded with the attorney general's office. With the NCAA and the board, with the board he's supposed to be working with, but then the NCAA took his investigation and used it. All right, they didn't. The NCAA never did their own investigation. They just used Freeze investigation to go ahead and punish Penn State. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yes. Well, again, you know, uh, in our in our realm of uh, inquiries, I don't think unbelievable is a is a term we can use now. It's got to be uh, hideous, hideously believable. So um, anyway, um, Anna, do you have any other questions? I mean, I mean we'd like to really, Anna or Tom, do you have any other questions? We'd really like to be able to explore. You've done an awesome job of giving us an overview. I mean, the whole point of this is to, you know, if somebody just landed on the planet yesterday and they read a couple uh, headlines, um, they wouldn't have a clue as to what actually occurred in this case. Um, the other thing I would say that, uh, you know, in my experience, if you have somebody that's uh, allegedly committed the types of crimes that are alleged to have occurred, although again, there's no evidence beyond repressed memories and a couple couple people saying things that have not been substantiated but have in fact been reported um although they've been haven't been substantiated well here's my curiosity john dick it's great that everybody's doing what they're doing to try to wake things up shake things up stir things up people like ralph ralph uh, caprician and dick and uh, John Snedden, who had has the investigation in his history, and who the hell's the media? 
<laughs> you know, you know where they are. They're in the tank. Yeah. That's where they are. Here's a story. Where are they? Wake up. This is why we're doing what we're doing because we don't, we can't count on our media anymore. Well, listen, there has been, there have been repeated attempts and I've been involved in a few of them to get the media to write. All right. And, um, they they've investigated. We've had stories ready to go. And then what happens is the higher ups uh, in the particular newspapers, magazines end up um, squashing this and it never goes forward. So that gets stopped by the people who are above malfeasance, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because they're concerned. They're concerned about, again, th this case, because it involves um, child sex abuse. All right. It's toxic and they don't want to be associated with it. They're afraid of it. All right. So you have the higher ups that are in TV stations. We had a TV story going. It was documented. The whole thing was ready to go. And they got killed at the last minute from the higher up, the producers, et cetera, in the TV station. And the same thing happened with the magazine. Another thing happened with a with a major newspaper. Same deal. All ready to go. And bingo. Well, so much for 60 minutes anymore. Huh? In, in, yeah. that, in, that, in that regard, I mean, I've, I personally have been interviewed by three major uh, media sources in the United States, um, anywhere from one reporter, I was on the phone with him repeatedly for a total of about 20 hours, another one uh, for about six hours, and another one in person for several hours, and uh, they were ready to write their stories, and the uh, editors killed it, um, because they don't they don't want to say that they were wrong the first time. So, uh, you know, that'd be a significant uh, retraction on their part. And uh, yeah, and John, they don't want to be accused of supporting uh, what is uh, what most people think is a child predator out there. Well, well, let me let me ask you this. I mean, you know, uh, Anna and Tom, uh, I mean, you know, you 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 can probably answer this as well as I could, but but the, 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 the circumstances are such as you have an individual that is alleged to have committed these crimes and is then incarcerated. Um, <laughs> you know, usually they, uh, there is some, some type of, uh, you know, altercations um, with their uh, co-inmates once they learn that uh, they're there. Um, in this case, does, let, let me ask you this, Dick. Does Jerry get along with his, uh, with the other uh, inmates? Yeah, he does. And he's, has, he, has he he's, got a, he's got a reputation. Now, if you, now he's been in two facilities. The, the first one was a um, level one, uh, high security one in Somerset. And I visited him there and uh, I and he was not in population. So when they brought him out, he was behind glass in uh, handcuffs and, and leg chains. Uh, and that's and he stood there and he had to talk to you behind the glass. 
Now, they moved him since then uh, to a level two, which is much better. And he has much more freedom uh, and he's in with population. And uh, when you visit, you're in a cafeteria type setting. You sit at tables. Uh, other prisoners are all around you and what have you. And and it's much more relaxed. And you can see that, you know, he knows a lot of people and people like him and what have you. And it's been said through another person. I heard this. It's been said that in behind bars that they get a pretty good idea uh, fairly fast of whether a person is a, a guilty um, prisoner or if, in fact, he's one that is innocent. And uh, they don't believe the general population that Jerry Jerry's guilty. So what, what I mean to say is under normal circumstances, if you put an, an individual in uh, in the, if you in a, incarcerate a, uh, an individual that uh, is allegedly um, alleged to have uh, committed these crimes, and uh, you know they're they're usually not very well liked by their you know by their neighbors, <laughs> and uh, a lot of them are attacked. Yes, um, has that ever happened to Jerry? No, no. And as I said, in the first instance, with the first few years, he was he was in a level one where he was in solitary confinement. He was ne he, they never put him in population. So right. that didn't have a chance. But the new one where he's been now for the last, uh, what, two years, three years, uh, he's in with population all the time. And uh, he, he makes a difference with those guys. He helps those guys. And uh, well, so, yeah, I mean, so. So does he get along with those guys? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So has he been attacked by those guys by virtue no. of uh, no. his alleged? No. Um, Anna, Tom, do you find that unusual? Well, a lot of it has to do with your popularity, too. He's, he's a popular, well-known man. He's not just some urchin off a, a dirty slime off the street who uh, was a, a pedophile or hurt little kids. They're going to go get him. You know, they're going to get a person like that. Uh, Jerry is, has a personality. He's a, a commanding type personality. And he wasn't a bully picking on little kids. You know, they can see through that. Um, let's talk about, like, just off the subject a second, an innocent person in jail, uh, Lynn Dijak. Yeah, Lynn Dijak, who was accused of murdering her 13-year-old daughter, she got along in jail just fine because they other inmates knew that she was set up. They knew who, who the bad guy was. If there was more justice going on in prison than there was ever out of it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I can see where Jerry probably has these people convinced that he wasn't as bad as they made him out to be. Yeah. I think it's kind of like a street mentality too. They just, they just know. Yeah, they know. You know they, they know. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, 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 uh, unspoken but uh they get a feel for things out there and i think they know that he's a good guy wow so uh, uh dick can you tell me uh do you know what the status is of uh ex-governor corbett now what's his i don't i i don't know uh where he is what he's doing if he's retired or what i have no idea i i understand that he might be a professor at duquesne oh really yeah, I'm. It's really surprising that uh, 
an individual that has done the damage that he has um, isn't screaming from the rooftops that he's an awesome human being, you know, as opposed to uh, scuttling off into the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, well, we'd like to follow up on uh, uh, every one of the points that you've made. I think that uh, it's clearly uh, it clearly touches on everything that we are interested in pursuing. Um, you know, crime, corruption, and and media bias, and uh, you know, interestingly enough, from from what you and Ralph have described, uh, it appears that. Uh, the crime, corruption, and media bias uh, are all on the other side of the of the situation here, you know, yeah. potentially. potentially. So, yeah. um, one other thing I, I wanted to ask you, you know, when you talk about the Penn State Board of Trustees, um, are you familiar with the a guy by the name of Mark Dambly? Yes. And uh, does he have a he has a relative, if I understand it correctly, he has a very interesting uh, history. Yes, you're right about that. <laughs> um, I, I remember seeing a uh, videotaped interview of him where he couldn't remember that he was arrested for a violent crime and spent <laughs> several days in the Center County Jail. <laughs> I mean, I remember that. Yeah, I, I think uh, if you spent several days in a jail, you'd remember that, wouldn't you? Yeah. You, why, why wouldn't the media follow up on that? That's a good question. That's a good question. The yeah. other thing is this. Um, now, his position, his profession is what? Do you know what his profession is? No, I don't. I don't know what his profession is. Does real estate ring a bell? Uh, he could be, but I don't know. Well, anyway, I think uh, it's worth exploring his, uh, his history and uh, his uh, connections with other people. Clearly, the, uh, the Board of Trustees uh, outside of the uh, Alumni 7 are, are an inter interesting group of human beings. Yeah, that, that is for sure. And uh, why they they fall in line, knowing knowing what the truth is, and all of them afraid to speak out is beyond me. You know, just generally speaking, bringing it down to your average human being. You know, I look at it this way. You know, every traffic accident that you've been involved in, you remember minute by minute. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But then you can't remember that you were in jail for five days. <laughs> <laughs> what is? What is up with that? That's yeah. worth exploring. Yes, yeah. very much yes. so. Yeah. And yeah. Nick, I was wondering if, as this progresses, could we talk to you again? Certainly, time? anytime. Uh, it seems like you're right on on top of everything. That's for sure. Well, um, I've been involved in it from the very beginning. I don't know how you get any closer to it. You know, when when you've known a guy that long and been associated with that long and never seen any evidence of what he's accused of. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the. Uh, in, in addition to being an excellent coach, you, you probably know enough about the law now to as much as any of those attorneys do. Well, I know a little experience. bit, a little bit, yeah. but I but I don't know a whole bunch. Well, it seems to me like you know this case very well. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, Dick, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a very interesting, very interesting case that uh, needs to be re resolved. Um, there's a lot of issues out there in regard to who committed what crimes actually. Mm -hmm. And um, if you look at some of the parallel cases that are connected to that case, where you've got prosecutors facing disciplinary actions and uh, false presentments and the overall uh, picture of judicial corruption, I mean, uh, it all needs to be explored until uh, we determine exactly what happened. And that's uh, exactly why we're here. Yeah. So, well, Jerry, uh, Jerry, in the very least, John, deserves a new trial. And if you look, if you look just uh, summer, just at just at the evidence uh, that just we talked about here, which is, you know, just a, a, a small part of it. Uh, you, you, I, I don't know how you could say he doesn't deserve another trial. So uh, that's that's the objective, and we hope that's going to happen. Well, we're gonna we're gonna pursue as uh, pursue it all the way to the end. Uh, I mean, that's the whole purpose that we're here. Um, presumably, they're not going to hear anything from the mainstream media. So, and we're certainly uh, familiar with uh, the media. Um, turning cases into uh, things that are just irrecognizable from what they actually happened. So, you know, we'll be, we will be pursuing uh, the truth, obviously, in uh, future podcasts and would be uh, pleased to be able to have you back on again. John, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I'll come on any time. And Dick, you are certainly one of the good guys, and we're glad that you joined us. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, please. Well, thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dick. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Anna, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dick. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. We'll close this out. Do you guys, uh, do you, uh, Anna or uh, Tom, do you have any comments relative to, uh, you know, Ralph's uh, succinct uh, summary of the case and uh, Dick uh, adding... Uh, a little bit more detail to this. Well, yeah, I think that we can. We there's a lot of bullet points that we brought up that we can talk in future podcasts on this. The subject is far from dead. I just think um, that you, we got to we got to catch with this with this guest, Dick Anderson, with something else. Uh, but I'm glad to get more information. Like I said, a lot of notes here and. Let's get into it, but we'll get into a future podcast. Anna, do you have any? Well, it's like any investigation I've done in in my life. The more the more I look into this one and learn about this one, the more I want to know, uh, and I want to continue to do that, using this podcast to spread the word. Sure. Hopefully, shake, shake somebody up to get something more done done on it because it's obviously wrong what happened to this man. So that, uh, yeah. It's certainly a, a you know if you just don't spend the time reading the headlines and believing what the 
what they suggest you should read or what success what they suggest you should believe i mean at the very least um what ralph has described and what his dick has described is appalling and uh yeah can ha- happen to anybody well let's keep shaking trees and see what falls out of them and and john maybe um you should say how anyone could contact us in the event that you know they have some information that they want to share yes i you know um if there is information, uh, we've got a, quite a few more guests relative to this specific uh, case that uh, will shed more light on what actually happened as opposed to what the headlines were telling you. And, and um, if anyone has any questions, too, possibly they can uh, email it into us. Right, uh, right. And our see. email address here at Search Warrant is uh, at, uh, I'm sorry, it's uh, Search Warrant zero two at gmail.com and you can also follow us at uh on twitter at uh at search warrant one um and again if you're a law enforcement officer and you've had a case that uh, has been ignored by the media or you know um hosed up a little bit by the media to the point where it's unrecognizable from what you the awesome job that you have done. We'd like to have an opportunity to promote that case. Um, so people really know the truth about it. Um, and if you could please let us know if you have a case like that, we'd love to be able to promote it for you. Um, and you can reach us again at uh, search warrant zero two at gmail.com. Um, search warrant is available on Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. So until next week, uh, hang tough, everybody, and we'll be uh, running everything down to find out exactly what happened in these cases. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.